0: Let us come before the Lord in prayer. God of love, a love that knows no bounds and that dwells in perfect community. We come to you now as an expression of that love, representing diverse communities and a breadth of tradition. We thank you for this safe space and value its importance a sacred space safe to stop to reflect to listen to question we seek your spirit of peace today and a knowledge deep within our souls that you deeply love each and every one of us every part of us and not that which the powers deem to be acceptable we offer you this prayer and the prayers of our hearts in the name of your son jesus christ
1: so today's service is the next in our series on inclusion so this is our the series that inclusive church suggests and we are working through the different aspects today considering pride was yesterday it felt quite apt to do our inclusive service on LGBT and all of the challenges that those of us that are within that community face each day. So today, as I said, is going to be multi-voiced. You'll be hearing a bit from me now, a little bit from Luke. Martin is going to be sharing, Andrew Doker is also going to be sharing this morning. I wanted to share a little bit about my standing for presidency and some of the responses I got. Most of you know that I stood for Baptist presidency this year. I did not, surprise, surprise, get it, which um, many people have asked me how I am. I'm honestly fine. I didn't stand because I felt particularly called to be president. I stood because I felt called to stand, because as someone who is queer and in ministry, I felt it was important to stand up and say that. Um, Again, most of you, but not all of you, will know that I am pansexual. Um, And if you don't know what that means, that's okay. But there are many within the Baptist world who don't know what it means, but their response is one of arrogance and one of ignorance, rather than one of humility and questions. So I'll just share with you one of the specific examples of a response that I got while standing. Um, Because I had put on my profile that I was both pan and married, Um, one particular Baptist minister felt it was appropriate to make allusions to the fact that because I was pan and felt the need to come out even though I was married that this was probably because I was opening myself up to having affairs and that by being pansexual and being attracted to whatever gender that this meant I was more likely as well to have affairs and not be faithful to my husband. This was a Baptist minister that responded in this way. I will be writing a longer reflection on the whole process and the other responses that I got. Do come and talk to me about it, but some of you are sitting there with your raised eyebrows. Yes, that is a genuine, and it, w- it came from a place of this person believed they knew exactly what was going on. They didn't really know what pansexual was, but they had an idea and their assumption was that this was what the Baptist Union would be opening itself up to if I became president. This morning is deliberately multi-voice because that is that is one experience of ignorance that people from the queer community have faced, but that's only my experience. There are so many more experiences out there. So today we are hearing from people from that have had that have had lived experiences and lived um, experiences of exclusion in different ways, and they're going to share with us this morning. And it is important for us to hear that because although as a church. We're pretty good on this particular area of inclusion. Actually, we still have a way to go. We still have things to learn. I'm not sure that all of you knew that out there, there were people who would respond to me in that way. And I'm a pretty safe queer person, as it were. I am married. I'm having children. There is a, there is a, a safety around me that I look pretty heteronormative. What we're going to be hearing from this morning is other people's experiences. It is just scratching the surface of the discrimination that those within, this and all marginal communities feel. And when we are looking at inclusion and looking at these marginal communities, we have to hear it with humility and know that actually, the voice that we're hearing on Sunday or the, the stories that we have read in our small group study is not the whole picture. And that as we go from this place, we need to go with humility to continue to listen and to learn and to search for more understanding. I'm going to pass over to Luke now.
0: Good morning, again. I'm going to share a little bit uh, about me. Um, I'm also going to share a little bit about pride yesterday. And pride in the broader sense of visibility. Now, I realize standing here right now, I'm fairly visible. (laughs) There's a big rainbow around my neck. And I will talk a little bit about why I'm wearing this in a moment. Um, But in case it escaped your knowledge, yesterday was Pride in London. If you've been anywhere near central London over the last probably about a month, slowly but surely, more and more rainbows have been popping up over the city. So buses have had them painted on the sides. preps changed their signs from the usual red to the rainbow with the star in the middle of it. Um, Brands, organizations, all have been rainbowing themselves up in advance of yesterday. Now I'd be happy to talk to you another time about what I think about that. Um, You might be able to tell, but uh, yesterday was a day of celebration for many. Pride in London is often seen as a bit of a pilgrimage. People from across the country, in fact, across the world, come to London to celebrate Pride in a city that is known, or at least hopes to be known, for its inclusion and its affirmation of everyone. So yesterday 1.5 million people apparently gathered on the streets of London and uh, about 25,000 people marched in the official parade going through the uh, streets of London from, they started up by uh, near Regent's Park I think and ended up down at the bottom by Whitehall. Takes quite a long time to get 25,000 people to march through that space and in that were about 80 Christians, or I'm sure there were more, but there was a specific group called Christians at Pride that marched alongside people from the Jewish community, alongside people from the Muslim community, sharing a message that being someone who is LGBT and a person of faith is not mutually exclusive. There was also a group of us standing on the side, um, and there were many people there who were LGBT, but also people who were straight, um, and we stood next to a group of Christians who are less than friendly. They stand there with their lesson-friendly yellow placards that have uh, specific messages and quotes from passages of scripture that they've lifted from the Bible and attempt to convict people that their lifestyle is wrong. Um, we have a group standing there that wore their bright t-shirts that said Christians at Pride in front of them. We had Fifi and her fabulous angels, and I think Fifi's resting this morning because she spent about 10 hours on her feet yesterday. Um, but we will be sharing some photos, and she decked out, as you can, if you know Fifi, you can imagine how extravagant her costumes were, along with a load of other people that stood there and held up banners just saying, God loves you, God is love, we don't convict you, we don't condemn you in the way these other people do. Simon and Liz stood there as well, Simon wore his dog collar, so many of you who know Simon well, that's a fairly unusual sight, Um, so it was nice to see Simon in his clerical collar, Um, and Liz stood there with a giant unicorn rubber ring round her, um, signposting people away from the hateful message that was in one corner, pointing people to the loving message that was there instead. We then had a service in the evening um, and we gathered together at St. Giles in the Fields, which is just behind us that way. (laughs) Um, We gathered together in St. Giles in the Fields and worshiped together as a community. We shared communion um, and it was an ecumenical service. So we had people from across traditions gathering together mainly as LGBT people, but also allies to hear the good news to fellowship with one another, and to break bread with one another. And we heard from two people specifically, a man called John, who is 92, um, and Jackson, who many of you will know. Jackson comes here and is um, a part of the Soho gathering and other bits that we do as well. And John spoke very powerfully about his experiences growing up in a world where his identity had to be kept secret and kept hidden. And he spoke about police officers having to be bribed, and he spoke about the the journey that we as a society have been on in his 92 years, and for him to stand there in front of that crowd of people at 92 was was deeply moving. Um, But then to see, for him, to see all those faces looking back at him, he felt like he'd achieved something. The hard work that he and his contemporaries, many of whom he lamented, weren't able to share in that moment with him now, They had been part of a process that enables a group of Christians, close to 200 Christians, to be in a church and feel fully affirmed and loved. And then Jackson shared his experiences as a trans man who is on a journey of acceptance and inclusion and seeking safety and and solace in a church community like Bloomsbury, but also acknowledging how far as as a society we need to go. So Pride is a day of visibility. Pride is a day to be able to wear all of your identities out in the open. For many people who attend Pride, you don't often get the chance to say, well, this is me. I'm a Christian, for example, but I'm also LGBT. You don't often get to stand there and hold those two together. And you see that in all the other aspects of the, the Pride celebrations, whether that's um, people who come from other religious communities, whether that's people who are in a corporate work environment and often don't get to share about their lives because they feel that they have to to hide behind a a fake image. But you see this freedom, this liberation to be who God created them to be. I said I'd mention why I'm wearing this. Some of you might remember John, who was a member here for a few years, um, and then as John got older, he found it harder to commute into the church. Um, but when he left, he gave me two of these stoles. Um, and as a Baptist, wearing this kind of get-up is a bit weird. Um, but he gave them to me saying that he used to wear these as he went about preaching in different churches, Baptist churches, who particularly were very, um, had conservative and traditional values. And he stood up as a gay man preaching the word of God with a giant rainbow wrapped around his shoulders. And that really convicted me. His, his journey, his story of faith, his desire to be part of a community like Bloomsbury to the point where he was willing to commute, like many of you do, to come and be here. So I wear this not only as um, respect to the journey that John has been on and the journey and the, the commitment that he has to the cause of inclusion, but also as a sign that my own journey continues. Many of you know that I trained at Spurgeons for Baptist ministry, but because of my sexuality, I can't be ordained. Um, the baptist union won't ordain me as a baptist minister and so i can't wear a clerical collar i can't um receive the same office and receive the same benefits and the same blessings that ministers in the baptist union receive and so being able to stand here with you as my chosen gathered community wearing something like this in a really visible way is actually really profound It speaks of liberation. It speaks of freedom. It speaks of a hope of a future where I I can be ordained, where others like me can be ordained. That might not be in my lifetime, but it's a journey and a trajectory that we're aiming for. We're going to hear very shortly our reading for today, and it comes from the book of Isaiah. And as we hear it, I'd like you to reflect on some of the things that have already been shared. Thinking about pride as visibility. Thinking about pride as freedom. Thinking about what liberation means. The theme for pride in London this year was Jubilee. It's 50 years since the Stonewall riots in the United States, which was when many believed the sort of gay rights movement really began. In a bar, a mafia-owned bar in New York City, a a group of activists, the majority of whom were trans women of color, said, this is enough. We've had enough. We're tired of being treated like second-class citizens. We're tired of the corruption. We're tired of the inequality. And the first stone was thrown. The inn was called Stonewall and since then the LGBT rights movement has been on a trajectory that for many has been terrifying (laughs) and for many has been liberating. But that first stone, that act of defiance, that one moment where they said enough is enough was a mark of liberation. It was a step towards freedom. And Pride in London chose the theme of Jubilee because it's 50 years since that happened. But for us as Christians, Jubilee means something else. Jubilee means freedom, Jubilee means hope, Jubilee means a freedom of expression. We'll hear from the scriptures the practicalities of, of Jubilee. And the releasing of slaves, the returning of property, but the hope that God will restore what ought to be restored. God will bring wholeness where there is brokenness. Pride is an attempt to do that. Our service here this morning, as Dawn has already said, is an attempt to do that. To hear from voices that speak to that journey towards wholeness that speak to that journey towards jubilee, that speak to that journey towards liberation. And so I'm going to ask Anne-Marie now to come and give us our reading. And as she does, reflect on what you hear from the scriptures and perhaps what God might be saying to you now in that time.
2: The reading is taken from Isaiah 61, The Good News of Deliverance. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots. And as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations.
3: Well, good morning. Um, I've made a significant error this morning. (laughs) Uh, I was... Uh, on my way here and uh, I looked in my bag and took out uh, the phone, the mobile phone uh, that I assumed um, was mine and when I looked at it I was a bit startled to see an image of myself. I'm not that narcissistic actually to have an image of myself on my phone and I thought, oh, that's not good. Um, (laughs) I've managed to bring my husband's phone with me this morning rather than... uh, picking up my own phone. Lessons learnt we must get a different mobile phone uh, colour rather than having the same one uh, with our phones. In what I've just said, in picking up on what Luke has reflected upon, that is my liberation. I can stand here and talk about my husband. Now from my background, that is really significant. Not a conversation in the shadows or at the back, but a conversation that takes place centrally in a very ordinary way. Those of you who don't know, um, it's that I come from, uh, my background is in the Salvation Army, was a Salvation Army officer, minister for, for many, many years. And um, I had to resign to get married uh, in the Salvation Army. You are not allowed to be a member of the Salvation Army, never mind a minister, stroke officer, and um, um, be in a same-sex uh, relationship. So when the opportunity to get married in a church uh, came, I took the decision to, to resign and uh, to, to get married um, which um, was a, a fabulous event um, and as I reflect and the opportunity to, for this morning was to reflect and look back is what I grew up in was silence it wasn't voices of condemnation It was the silence that was actually quite awful, looking back. An oppressive silence. There was no discussion regarding being gay, LGBT. To be honest, there wasn't very much discussion about sexuality. And when I eventually did resign and said my reasons why, it was amazing the voices or the conversations from across the theological perspectives within the Salvation Army that came through and just the relief for some to have the conversations. Looking back, the hardest experience of the silence um, was with a very dear friend of mine called called Andrew Um, we were I don't know if you know the building in South London there's a massive Salvation Army building it's it's the training college has very high walls all I'm saying so once you get in it's very difficult to get out and uh, it's it's an amazing building and Andrew was in the year ahead of me at college when we were training together we actually were lived together we appointed in in Tottenham we had four months um, of ministry together about I guess five or six years following that experience um, Andrew became very ill, and um, he was ill because he had, and uh, he was HIV/AIDS-related illness. This is going back about twenty-five or so years. He was married. It was a very awful situation. We eventually, he, he did get better, and had some years of living. Um, as a positive gay man. And we had some very moving conversations. We we spoke about the time we lived together and never spoke about our, our sexuality and our similarities. I think the hardest part of that story was when somebody went to visit him within the Salvation Army hierarchy when he was getting better and did literally say, would have been better if you had died and being with andrew with to work through that was tough however on pride weekend i look back at andrew and recognize his courage and how he would still attend Salvation Army services and meetings and and be okay. So that's why I go back to what I said at the beginning about being in a place where I can say, this is my husband. And the importance of conversations. The toughest thing, I would say, and this is, this is an honest reflection, and I don't think, it, it's not looking for resolution. Sometimes it still feels like being in exile. <laughs> that I, I still have many connections with my home church. And not to be able to be in it and be fully me, Um, sometimes creates a sense of loss and fine (laughs) there are also ways that that can be worked around it doesn't come from a place of how terrible it is as it is and what I honour with Bloomsbury and other churches is sometimes I think it can get lost the cost of being an inclusive church, I honour that, and thank thank those who have made difficult decisions. But I would say the liberation, and and I did, I think I mentioned this to Simon, um, the cowl service last year of being able to bring Tim along, and being able to stand at the back there and say. Tim, meet Simon. Simon, this is my husband, Tim. That's the liberation. And thank God for
1: it. Yudoka is going to come and join us now and share some of her story. So, Yudoka, tell us a bit about your story. So, I came to Bloomsbury in
4: 2017, I think. Um, so, I think in October... So when I came to start my undergraduate degree at UCL, studying anthropology, and I literally um, Googled gay church Camden, and this was the first result that came up. So I came here, and I liked it so much that I didn't leave. Um, My background, well, my family live in Bedford, which is where I commuted from today, because I've I've moved out of my uni accommodation for the summer. Um, My mum's a pastor, and she's um, minister at a church that's uh, um, officially non denominational, but I'd say mostly like African spiritual Pentecostal um, in tone. And it's not an affirming church. And I think my decision to come to Bloomsbury Blues- and my decision to stay was kind of spurred on by a lot of people were fleeing. And I felt that I was kind of fleeing um, a background that wasn't particularly affirming or welcoming because of my sexuality. Um, and I've never regretted that decision for an instant. And I've grown so much as a Christian and as a person in my time with Bloomsbury. So that's kind of... So
1: how have you found it being here? Like, And you said you've been bringing friends along as well. And how have they found it? Um, I found it amazing
4: and very different because your service is a lot quieter <laughs> than what I'm used to. <laughs> um, <laughs> In many ways, I mean, the organ can get quite loud, but um, there's no drums. There's not as much dancing. Um, and <laughs> I mean, sometimes, but um, it's, it's refreshing to um, get to know a different style of worship. But And in that, to find that there's so many ways to worship and to love God. Um, I felt that as someone who's coming from a place that where everyone is kind of the same and everyone is mostly um, african and mostly coming from the same background coming into a place where um, in many ways i'm a bit different and still feeling just as welcomed actually more so it was really refreshing um and it's the first time my background is very evangelical and you're almost harassed to bring people to church and like bring them to christ and bring them to jesus but i never felt safe enough in that church to feel comfortable bringing people who i love to come fellowship with me and that has not been the case at Bloomsbury um, and I think the majority of my friendship group have accompanied me and accompanied me to Bloomsbury at some point either during the carol services or during regular services um, and they've been surprised that churches like this can exist because um, among the circles that I've been in like most, mostly students mostly quite quite young and um, mostly quite secular Um, They didn't realize that churches like this were even allowed to exist. um, But also, they they were surprised by how at home they felt, and so many people have decided to, um, if they don't come that often, like, actually embark on a faith journey because of their experiences here, which is not something that I've seen before with any of my friends. Um, And regardless of their their personal faith, some, some of them already have their practices that they do, um, that they feel welcomed and safe and they feel loved here which is I think the most important thing so.
1: Yes, do you, so we've been talking about visibility, do you feel able to be visible within Bloomsbury?
4: Yes and I think visibility is really interesting um, because for me I'm not the quietest person I'm quite extroverted and I, I, even um, where I was growing up I, I think there's this idea of, um, the closeted person as someone that's constantly hiding. Um, and in many ways, despite the fact that I was hiding one aspect of my identity, it didn't feel like hiding so much as it felt like what Martin alluded to, which was kind of like the suffocating, um, silence. Um, I could be loud about so many other things. Um, and I was, but the fact that I was being silent about something that is a part of who I am, felt almost worse than the um, outward condemnation, which there was, and it is, and will continue to be quite a lot of condemnation. Um, even, even yesterday, when I told my mum, oh, I'm, I'm going down to come down to London, she was like, you'd better not be going to Pride. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to Pride, but I'm going to be talking about Pride in a church context. Um, and I'm going to Black Pride, but she didn't ask that question, so I think I'm fine. But it's... <clears throat> Yeah, it's something that I've... And even at Bloomsbury, I've never felt the need to really come out, in a sense, because the safety of this environment removes that need. Um, it removes the need to be to be anything other than what I am. And what I am, usually, is just who you see before, before you. I'm just, like, a normal person. Um, because I know that, regardless of who I am and who I love, I'd be expect, accepted.
1: So... so- I guess my, question, my next question is a probably more difficult question. So as a community, we, we're doing the welcoming thing. People feel able to be open and visible about who they are here in terms of their sexuality. So what have we still got to learn? What can we do next? Um,
4: I, I think that one of the things that I wish we did more of was more kind of external focused. Um, We've got such an almost amazing reservoir of love within this community. And quite a few people always told about it and had no idea that this place existed. Um, and it's one aspect of love to be able to be safe within this space, but other to, as we did yesterday, and as so many of um, our, our community did and have done over the past couple of years, to go out and to bring that love to other, other people and to see the looks on people's faces when they feel accepted. Um, by Christianity and and by people of the same faith as they are is something that is so wonderful and just making more more noise about what we do Um, being a bit bit more Pentecostal about it in that sense so we should be visible yes Um, and in so many ways um, Bloomsbury already is and taking the stances that you take on so many issues that are kind of hot, hot button topics and um receiving the, I don't want to say hate, because that sounds very Twitter-esque, but I'm gonna say hate, that things we often receive, so we're making those decisions, is one way of being visible. But um, you see so many people walking past, completely unaware of the love of God that abounds in this place, and I think that's what we need to be louder about. Um, in terms of inclusivity, I feel very included on the basis of all the identities that um, like I possess. Um, but there's there's always learning to be done and I think that there's so many ways that every single one of us regardless of what sexuality we are or what race we are or what economic background we are there are certain aspects in which we have privilege and we always have to remember that regardless of who we are we need to approach all these issues with humility Um, because um, I'm still learning I often feel out of my depth and it's really important to remember that, because no matter how old we are, we always are learning. So.
1: Thank you, Yudoka. Thank you for coming and sharing with us and for being visible and for being vulnerable.
5: Let us pray. God of love, justice and welcome, We bring before you today the deep longing of our hearts for the world in which we live, and for those whose experience of this world is marred by the actions of others. This weekend of Pride, marking 50 years since the Stonewall riots in New York City, We think particularly of those who are discriminated against because of their sexuality or gender. We thank you for the presence of Christians at Pride at yesterday's parade here in London. And we rejoice that we live in a country where the freedom to express our God-given sexuality and identity is protected by law. We thank you that we live in one of the 26 countries where same-sex marriage is legal, where people are free to marry the partner of their choice. And we thank you for churches such as this one that offer same-sex marriage services within the covenant community of God's people. But we also hold before you the horrific truth that there are over 70 countries where same-sex relationships are criminalized, with penalties including long prison sentences, corporal punishment, or even the death penalty. And we recognize that in many other countries, including our own, members of the LGBTQ community still face routine discrimination, particularly those who are trans. We recognise how much more there is still to do and we pray for your love and your justice and your welcome to be known in this world. We confess the role that the Christian Church has played in shaping homophobic and discriminatory laws and cultures over the centuries. And we commit ourselves as a congregation of your people to the ongoing and challenging task of continuing to challenge our own attitudes to difference and discrimination and to speaking out boldly the truth that is revealed to us. So we pray. We pray for LGBTQ Christians who have found themselves excluded from faith communities by exclusive homophobic and transphobic theologies. We recognize that our view of God and our understanding of scripture needs to change if we are to be genuinely inclusive. And we give thanks for those who speak from the margins, to challenge those who would not otherwise have cause to question their assumptions. We pray for LGBTQ Christians who suffer damage to their mental health and spiritual well-being from the abusive expectations of other Christians. We think of those coerced into denying their sexuality, those who have found themselves in loveless marriages, and those who have remained single and celibate against their calling or desires. We see the danger of normalizing one dominant understanding of sexuality and we give thanks for those who reveal through their lives a deeper understanding of the great diversity of humanity that is made in the image of God. We pray for those who have had the courage to to take a stand for LGBTQ inclusion in our society over the last 50 years. And those who continue to speak out within society for equality and inclusion and particularly for trans rights. We recognize that without challenge, nothing changes. So we stand in prayer alongside those who have found the strength to bring challenge even at great personal cost. We hold before you those who continue to speak out, refusing to allow our society to become complacent, highlighting homophobic violence, trans rights, and the many other less visible discriminations that mark the day-to-day existence of the LGBTQ community. We pray for those who speak in church communities seeking to bring change and to ensure that the family of God is a place where all are welcome. We think of those who offer faithful witness within churches where same-sex attraction is condemned as sinful, who hear a weekly condemnation of their identity but remain faithful and present. We think of those who are called to serve you in Christian ministry, but who are denied recognition and ordination. And we confess our own Baptist sin on this. We think of churches divided against each other and within themselves. And we know that the body of Christ is broken and the blood of Christ is spilled. and we give thanks. We give thanks for organizations such as Christians at Pride, Affirm, One Body One Faith, the 223 Network, and so many other organizations which offer a faithful LGBTQ voice within the structures and systems of Christian life and witness. We thank you for clergy who have spoken up in support of same-sex marriage and LGBTQ inclusion. And we give thanks for those in our own church family who offer a persistent challenge for us to never be complacent. We pray for those who have entered into same-sex marriages in this building. And we give thanks for those other churches which have taken a public stand on inclusion. We bring all these, our prayers before you and we commit ourselves to the task of bringing into being your kingdom of love and justice and welcome on earth
1: as it is in heaven. Amen.